Welcome to Tee Up Logistics Insights, presented by iDrive Logistics and ShipCaddy. Our hosts take a deep dive into logistics, supply chain, and small parcel shipping with special emphasis on the landscape of the e-commerce industry and behind the scenes of the warehouses supporting the backbone of American business. Welcome, everybody. To the podcast today, my name is Jake Wertner, Executive Vice President at iDrive Logistics, and I'm excited today I get to talk a little bit about the USPS. We know them very well. They're a large entity that is delivering to just about every address every day. So a couple of things I want to talk about today around the USPS is how they're structured, some of the surcharges that just went into effect as well as how they're doing with their 10-year plan that they announced last year. So the USPS is pretty big. They actually employ over 600,000 employees, and there's only two private companies in the U.S. that employ more than the USPS, and that's Amazon and Walmart. So they're pretty big. They are not a publicly traded company. They're a branch of the federal government. But if they were a privately held company, they'd be sitting at number 44 on the Fortune 500 list. UPS would be at 35, and FedEx is right behind them at 45. But again, USPS, number 44, if they were on the Fortune 500 list. And there's some interesting facts around how the post office got started and uh, who their first postmaster general was, if you can believe it. Benjamin Franklin was the first postmaster general back in 1775. Pretty crazy. I didn't know that fact until recently. And it's operated by an 11-person board of governors. And that board of governors really looks like a board of directors at a private company. So contrary to what a lot of people think, the USPS receives no direct taxpayer funds. Doesn't mean that they're not getting some kind of taxpayer funds. They did receive $10 billion from the CARES Act last year or the year before, as well as they took out a pretty large loan from the government. I think it was around $25 billion during the pandemic, but they're not directly receiving funds from taxpayers, just a roundabout way. The USPS in recent years has gone through a lot of changes. So I want to kind of take a step back here. If you go back to, you know, pre-90s, USPS was a, a really big deal. You know, obviously PO boxes have been around for forever. Basically, they did a lot of mailing campaigns. They did a lot of first class mail, you know, letters or marketing campaign type things for businesses, and that was really their bread and butter. And this should this shouldn't be news to anybody. But as e-commerce took off, it really caused them to have to shift into packages. And we know that their infrastructure wasn't there to really support packages. Case in point, think of those small trucks that they drive around. And nowadays, when you see those small trucks driving around, usually you see there's packages, boxes, completely stacked up full, covering the windshield in a lot of cases. I'm I'm sure they're not supposed to be doing that, but it's pretty common sight to see. And so they've had to do this big shift. Now, we've always thought that they were a sleeping giant. USPS is going to just about every address every day. They already have this infrastructure set up. That infrastructure was set up because of the, what you could call a monopoly on mailboxes. They had an advantage over UPS and FedEx. 
And so we always knew they were kind of a sleeping giant. We knew that their day would come when they would do really well in the parcel world. And, and that day came. And pre-pandemic, you would see the USPS was one of the favorite carriers out there for a lot of shippers, especially if you're shipping lightweight product, less than five pounds. USPS was just this great option. The pandemic hit and a lot of things changed. And the timing of that, along with some of the legacy issues that USPS was trying to get ahead of, is really what caused them to get into some trouble financially. Some of those are around retiree health benefits. They already needed to invest a lot into their infrastructure, you know, bigger trucks, better sorting facilities, more state-of-the-art equipment. They needed to invest in technology, all these different things. And so the USPS knew that this was needing to happen. And when the new postmaster general, DeJoy, was put in there, one of the big things he came out with was the USPS 10-year plan. I want to talk a little bit about that 10-year plan because that 10-year plan is moving along. I'm going to do a little bit of an update on where that's at now, but it's moving along. They're starting to see some progress there, but there's some big changes that come from that 10-year plan. So back in March of 2021, USPS comes out with their 10-year plan and they called it Delivering for America. And they listed out all these different things that they're going to be changing with the USPS. And there were some call-outs they had in there that were important, obviously, but there were also some really subtle additions in there that I think a lot of people didn't really pick up on, and I want to go through some of those. So really the highlights of the Delivering for America plan was their goal was that they were going to operate at a break-even by fiscal year 2023. And had they not put this plan into effect, they were expecting about $160 billion in projected losses over the next 10 years. So this was going to slow the losses, and then ultimately get them to a point where they break even and then in 2023 and then past 2023 where they are making money. So one of the big things they wanted to do was to preserve affordable six-day mail, and then they wanted to expand into seven-day delivery for packages, meaning they're delivering every day of the week. And we saw some of that pre-pandemic, but 2021 was their way of saying, hey, here we go. This is really going to be a big initiative for us. All the while, they wanted to exceed at least 95% network-wide on-time delivery. Those are some pretty big things that they wanted to accomplish, especially for an organization that was losing money. They also said, we want to generate at least $24 billion in net revenue, a lot of this coming from enhanced services around parcel delivery. They want to come out with some same-day delivery, one-day delivery. They want to improve on that. And so here were some things that they wanted to do to start generating this $24 billion in net revenue. They go through some other items that I don't want to cover on this podcast, but really talking about, you know, getting electrical vehicles, you know, stabilizing workforce with giving better benefits, things like that, because there was a high turnover. But the things that were kind of buried in their announcement on the 10-year plan were two big things that I want to bring up, two big points. The first is, They specifically said adjusting select delivery standards to improve efficiency and reliability. I'll go into that in a second. The second part, though, was align pricing to reflect market dynamics. So there's a lot to unpack from those, right? So adjust select delivery standards to improve efficiency and reliability. I took that as we're going to slow time and transit down. I think that's a good thing. The USPS 
If you're familiar with their services around the first class package service, which is under one pound, and the priority mail packages, which are over a pound, you'd realize that there were times when you shipped a package that was 13 ounces. Maybe you paid three or four bucks for that package, and it got from the West Coast to the East Coast in two days. That's pretty absurd, right? Other carriers couldn't really compete with that. And we know why. Most likely those packages were operating at a loss. And so USPS came out saying, hey, we want to we want to make sure that we adjust the delivery standards. We hope that that's going to help with some cost efficiencies and decrease some of our cost. But then the other thing that they said, the second point I want to bring up is aligning pricing to reflect market dynamics. So what are market dynamics? Things that are changing in the market. Basically, they want to be more flexible with how they could price things. And I'll get into the surcharges here in just a minute. But These surcharges that the USPS announced are these market dynamics that we're talking about. So let's go into the surcharges here. And then after that, we'll get into how that 10-year plan is going. So the USPS made this announcement late last year that they were going to have the rate increase for 2022, which is pretty standard. They said it was around a 3.1 to 3.5% increase for different service levels. And those 2022 rate increases went into effect on January 9th of this year. But then there were some additional fees that they announced that were going to take effect on April 3rd of this year. And there were two big fees that I'm going to talk about today. The first is the USPS dimensional non-compliance fee. So what is the dimensional non-compliance fee? Well, it's pretty easy to understand. Essentially, if you've put in the wrong dimensions for a package or the dimensions aren't provided and the Capture dimensions once it goes through the USPS facilities. If there's a a length, so one side that's greater than 22 inches, or if the total volume of the package is greater than one cubic foot, you're going to get charged this fee, and that fee is $1.50. So, really important that you're measuring these packages. And also, it's really important that you understand if you're going to have these packages that are over 22 inches on one side, that you're going to get assessed this fee. So 22 inches for one side is pretty big. It's a pretty big package, especially for companies that are using the USPS. If you're shipping a box and you have one side that's greater than 22 inches, you may have some really light product in there, and that's why you're using the USPS. But for the most part, what we've seen is that shippers that have a package that has a length greater than 22 inches, they're typically in a box, and it's typically going with a FedEx or UPS. Where we do see shippers that are using the USPS with a a length greater than 22 inches are the companies that are shipping in poly bags. You know, maybe you're shipping clothing or apparel, something like that, that is not very high. You know, it's just a couple inches high, but it is pretty long. In that case, you're going to get into trouble. So that surcharge is pretty straightforward. The other fee that I want to talk about today is the USPS non-standard fee. So... The USPS non-standard fee really has three things that we need to unpack. First is if a parcel is longer than 22 inches, but less than 30 inches, you're going to see a $4 surcharge. So that may sound similar to the previous surcharge, the dimensional surcharge I talked about, but it's important to differentiate from the two. The dimensional surcharge is coming into effect if you are putting in the wrong dimensions or no dimensions at all into the package for the USPS which is a big issue that they have to deal with. There's a lot of shipping platforms out there that don't require you to put dimensions in. The second part of the non-standard fee 
is for parcels that exceed 30 inches in length, those are going to incur a $15 surcharge. And then the last part is the parcels that measure greater than two cubic feet, which is 3,456 cubic inches, you're going to see an additional $15 fee added on top of that, on top of your, your cost that you were already paying. And this affects the shipments that would fall under this range, which is Priority Mail, Priority Mail Express, and Parcel Select. And so we were surprised to see how many companies were actually impacted by these fees. They, they do make a really big impact and they can add up. That's why it's important that you're planning out your packaging now. If you have some extra room in packaging, cut it down, try to stay under these dimensions. If you can't, you may need to look at additional carriers to move that product. So a lot of people are asking, well, why, why did the USPS come out with these surcharges? Why are they being added? So a, a couple of big reasons that I want to jump into. So first, you know, why the delay? Why do they wait until April to implement the surcharge? They already announced it back in late 2021, but why did it take so long to implement? Anytime the USPS has a new pricing strategy or surcharge, anything like that, they typically wait until April to put it into effect. And this gives them time to work out any of the kinks, make sure the systems are up, make sure they have the monitoring system in place to catch the packages that are affected. It gives them extra time. Whereas the rate increase is a different process. It happens every year. We know it happens in January. Sure, the dates might change a little bit, but always in January, there's going to be a price increase. Why are they being added? Well, the USPS, one thing that they have had issues with in the past is correcting improperly entered packages. And so they, they've lost a lot of money over the years on people trying to fly in, under the radar, whether it be them putting in lower package weights than the actual weight of the package or smaller dimensions to benefit from like the cubic program, things like that. And so what happens is the, it, it costs a lot of money and takes a lot of time for the USPS to audit these packages. It's reminiscent of, of when UPS came out with their shipping charge correction fee for companies that had a certain percentage of their packages having to be audited and were found that they were incorrect. And it was really to keep people in compliance. And so this is, you could call it what you want, but really it's a, it's a compliance fee that's being added on. Providing the correct dimensions also and weights, things like that, also help the USPS to better plan for the movement of the packages and their operations. So when it comes to the non-standard fee, they do now use, and they is the USPS, they use these state-of-the-art scanners and sorting equipment. And when packages fall outside of those, it takes a manual process to sort those packages. And these fees are being added because, in my opinion, the USPS really doesn't want these packages that are extra long the same way that they don't really like the packages that are heavier than 10, 20 pounds, right? And so that's why this fee is being assessed. There's a much broader story and discussion that should go around the carriers and what they're trying to do with the volume that they want. And it, I think it's creating a big need for additional carriers to rise up. And I think we're already starting to see that, but carriers have gotten really particular on what they want to deliver. Obviously, they want to maximize their profitability. So I spent some time talking about the USPS, the 10-year plan they came out with, how these surcharges really are part of that 10-year plan. You know, those two subtle bullet points, which is that they were going to be able to 
adjust pricing based on market dynamics really plays into why they came out with these surcharges. Market conditions are warranting them. The USPS is trying to become profitable or at least not operate at a loss anymore. And so these were expected. What also is expected is how the USPS is going to maintain this level that they're, they're trying to hit or achieve this level that they're trying to hit around uh, profitability when you see fuel costing what it's costing right now. That's a massive impact. We've watched FedEx and UPS adjust their, their surcharge tables or fuel tables to uh, make sure that they're covering their cost around the increase there. But what is USPS going to do? So stay tuned. I'm sure they're going to come out with some market dynamic surcharges to overcome that in order for them to still fall in line with their 10-year plan. But how are they doing with their 10-year plan? We're about one year in, and the results in the first year are actually pretty good. Things are, are working out, with the exception of the fuel and how that's affecting them, things seem to be working out according to plan. So let me go over a couple of things that they've done. So if you remember, I briefly touched on what they talked about around turnover, that the USPS was concerned about that. They focused on some better benefits and different things to retain people. And they had almost 63,000 what they called pre-career employees that moved into career positions. So right there alone, a pretty big thing that they did. So they've also made progress in designing what they call best-in-class processing and delivery operations. And they put a lot of work into that. They're trying to put a lot of money into their infrastructure. They've done that. They're seeing benefits from that. Getting specific around what they put into the infrastructure, they claim that so far they've put in about $6.3 billion. Of the $40 billion that they committed to infrastructure improvement, they've put that into play into better technology, better vehicles, facility buildings, those different things. And so that, that money's going into play. We have seen the time in transit for USPS slow down dramatically. And I think there's a lot of shippers that initially said, hey, if the time in transit slows down, we're leaving. And I think a lot of those shippers did not leave. I think they're still with USPS. USPS provides some great cost options there. I think the time in transit was too fast originally and it's reaching a, a pretty good point. And then the biggest thing that I want to touch base on around what they've announced for their year one, how it's gone so far, they call it their progress elements. And you can actually look at this. You go to USPS newsroom, usps.com slash newsroom. They have this report that they published here a week or so ago. It's called Delivering for America Progress Elements. And they said, after 16 years of pricing policies misaligned with organizational needs, the Postal Regulatory Commission provided a new pricing framework for market-dominant products. And first class is market-dominant, party mail, I think they consider, parcel select, I believe is considered on there as well. And they specifically say, the Postal Service has taken judicious advantage of this new authority through pricing strategies that have already generated 1.9 billion in annualized revenue. So you're going to watch and continue to see them take advantage of what's happening out there in the market, being more dynamic around their pricing. We saw it with the surcharges. I really don't think these are the last surcharges that we're going to see. I think they're going to continue to be up with the times with FedEx and UPS around constant changes to pricing. So I've covered a lot on this podcast. What I'd encourage you to do if you're a shipper 
you need to do the math and calculate you know, what's best for your business. These surcharges are going to have a big impact, especially if you have these products that are lighter weight. Apparel is a really good example. Maybe the package is one or two pounds, but it's a hoodie sweater or it's a larger poly bag. And now it's 23 inches with that poly bag. You're going to get charged $4 if you put the dimensions in the system correctly. You're going to get $1.50 if you don't put the dimensions in and it does exceed it. And so potentially $5.50 together, right? If that makes sense. And so you really need to understand your package characteristics a little bit better if you've been utilizing the USPS. There's never a one-size-fits-all solution. And I think one of the biggest things we're seeing in the market, which we did predict a few years ago, is that regional carriers and other carriers are going to start making a bigger play. The, the time of using one carrier for all of your shipping is gone, in my opinion. I think it's important that you're using multiple shippers. And there's ways to use multiple carriers without it damaging your relationships with those carriers. And hopefully this doesn't sound too overwhelming. If you still have questions, feel free to reach out to me. But follow us on LinkedIn. Thanks for your time and reach out if you have any questions. Thank you.